Part four, chapter three of Reisman's Steps by Arnold Bennett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Anthony Ogus. Charity. A dramatic event occurred that same afternoon at the shop. Violet and Henry were together in the office where the electricity had just been turned on. The shop itself was still depending on nature for light and lay somewhat obscure in the dusk. Husband and wife were in an affectionate mood, for Violet, as usual, had been beaten by the man's extraordinary soft obstinacy. She had had more than one scene of desperation with him about his health and his treatment of himself, but nobody can keep on fighting a cushion for ever. Henry had worn her down into a good temper, into a condition of reassurance and even optimism. He had, in fact, by patience, convinced her that his indisposition was temporary and such as none can hope to escape, and that he undoubtedly possessed a constitution of iron. The absence of Elsie helped the intimacy of the pair. They enjoyed being alone, unobserved, free from the constraint of the eyes of a third person who was here, there and everywhere. The trouble was that as soon as the affectionate mood had been established, Violet wanted to begin her tactics and her antics all over again. "'You know, darling,' she said, playful and serious, sitting on the edge of the desk by his side, in a manner most unmatronly, "'either you eat tomorrow, or I shall have the doctor in. "'Oh, I shall have the doctor in. "'It's for you to decide, but I've made up my mind.' "'You must admit.' "'And then the shop door opened and someone entered. "'Violet sprang off the desk to the switches, "'illuminated the shop, and beheld Dr. Raster. "'Henry also beheld Dr. Raster. "'Although a perfectly innocent woman, "'Violet's face at once changed to that of a wicked conspirator "'who has been caught in the act. "'Try as she would.' She could not get rid of that demeanour of guilt, and the more she tried, the less she succeeded. She dared not look at Henry. Certainly she could not murmur to Henry, I swear to you I didn't send for him. He's coming just as much a surprise to me as it is to you. She thought, this is that girl Elsie's doing. And she was angry and resentful against Elsie, and yet timorously glad that Elsie had been interfering. What Henry was thinking no one could guess. Henry's mind to him a kingdom was, and a kingdom never invaded. All that could be positively stated of Henry was that the moment he recognised the doctor, he rose vigorously from his chair and limped about with vivacity to prove that he was not an invalid or in any way in need of any doctor. And strange to say, he really felt quite well. Dr. Raster startled Violet by offering to shake hands. "'Ah, how do you do, Mrs. Elforward?' said he, in his sprightly, professional, high-voiced style. "'Not seen you for a long time.' Violet recalled the Sunday morning in Riceman Square when he had spoken to Henry on the pavement. She was happy then, and expectant of happiness. She was girlish then exuberant, dominating, self-willed, free. None could withstand her. A year ago. 
the change in twelve months suddenly presented itself to her with a sinister significance, but she imagined that the change was confined to her circumstances and that an unchained violet had survived. The doctor with his fresh eyes saw a shrunken woman, subject to some kind of neurosis which he could not diagnose. He greeted the oncoming Mr. Earlforward and shook a hand of parchment. Mr. Earlforward's appearance indeed astonished him, and he said to himself that perhaps he had done well to call, and that anyhow Elsie had not exaggerated her report. Mr. Earlforward was worse than shrunken. He was emaciated. His jaws were hollowed. His little eyes had receded. His complexion was greyish. His lips were pale and dry. The lower lip had lost its heavy fullness. His ears were nearly white. And there he was, moving nervously about, in the determination to be in excellent health in the presence of the doctor. Amazing, thought Dr. Raster, that Mrs. Elford had not summoned medical assistance weeks earlier. But then Mrs. Elford saw her husband every day, and nearly all day. Amazing that no customer had dropped a word of alarm. But then Mr. Elford's amiable and bland relations with customers were not such as to permit any kind of intimacy. You got a certain distance with Mr. Elford, but you never got any further. You remember I bought a Shakespeare here last year, Dr. Raster began cheerily and somewhat loudly. He often spoke more loudly than he need, result of imposing himself on the resistant stupidity of the proletariat. Relief spread through the shop like a sweet odour. The professional man's visit was a pure coincidence after all. Violet ceased to look guilty. Henry ceased to ape the person of vigorous health. "'Yes, yes,' said Mr. Earlforward, and to his wife, "'just reach down that Shakespeare with illustrations, will you?' Shakespeare with illustrations was the shop's title for the work, Valpy's edition of Shakespeare's plays and poems, because these three words were the only words on the binding. "'You don't mean to say you're not sold it yet?' "'A year, isn't it?' cried Dr. Astor. And Mr. Earlforward recalled from their previous interview in the shop an impression that the doctor was apt to be impudent. What right had the man to express surprise at the work not having been sold? Mr. Earlforward had in stock books bought ten years ago, fifteen years ago. "'I could have sold it,' said he, "'but the truth is I've been keeping it for you.' I felt sure you'd be looking in one of these days. I meant to drop your postcard to say I'd found it, but somehow all this was true. For at least ten months, Mr. Earlford had intended to drop the postcard and had never dropped it. Yet his conviction that one day he would drop it had remained fresh and strong throughout the period. Here, it's up in that corner, my dear, said Mr. Earlford. "'Yes, I know. I'm just going to get the steps.' "'Where are they? They ought to be here.' "'I don't know. Elsie must have had them for her windows and forgotten to bring them back.' "'Tut, tut,' Mr. Earlford blandly expostulated. "'Shakespeare's been having considerable success in my house,' Dr. Raster went on, when the two men were alone, with an arch smile at his own phrasing. 
You'd scarcely believe it, but my little daughter simply devours him, and as it's her birthday next week, I thought I'd give her my globe edition for herself, and get another one with a wee bit larger type for myself. My eyes aren't what they were. Simply devours him. Scarcely believe it, would you? The doctor was growing human. His eyes sparkled with ingenuous paternal pride. Then he checked himself. I notice your old clock isn't going, said he, in a more conventional, a conversation-making tone, and glanced at his wrist. No, Mr. Earlforward quietly admitted, thinking, what's it got to do with you, my old clock not going? The clock had not gone for months. Violet, who had further illuminated the shop as she passed out, was rather long in returning, partly because she had had to hunt for the steps, and partly because she had popped into the bedroom to see that it was in order. Dr. Raster gallantly took the volumes from her as she stood halfway up the steps. Fifteen volumes, that's right,' said Mr. Earlforward. "'I told you there were eight, didn't I?' "'Did you?' said Dr. Raster, wondering at the bookseller's memory. "'Yes, I was mixing it up with another edition. "'Easy to make a mistake of that kind.' Well, just look at it. Biography. Notes. Beautiful clear type. Nice modest binding in a very good taste. Light and handy to hold. Clean as a pin. Nearly two hundred illustrations from the Boydle edition. I told you Flaxman's illustrations, didn't I? Yes, I did. That was wrong. I somehow got the idea they were Flaxman's because they're in outline but I see there's quite a selection of artists. He peered at the names engraved in microscopic characters under the illustrations and passed on volume after volume to the prospective customer. Pretty addition. A silence. Violet stood attendant, an acolyte, submissive watchful, while Henry did business. I'm afraid it'll be too dear for my purse, said the doctor affrighted by the thought of nearly two hundred illustrations from Boydell. Twenty-five shillings. "'I'd better take it,' said the doctor, looking up from the books into Mr. Earlforward's little eyes. He was startled at the lowness of the price, and immediately counted out the money, two notes and two new half-crowns, which Mr. Earlforward gazed at passionately, and in a bravure of self-control, left lying on the desk. "'Make them up into two parcels, will you?' said the doctor. "'I'll carry them home myself. I suppose you wouldn't be able to deliver tonight. Too late?' "'Yes, too late tonight, I'm afraid,' answered Mr. Earlforward calmly, well aware that he had long since ceased to deliver any goods under any circumstances. "'My dear, some nice brown paper and string.' "'Oh, the string's here, isn't it?' He bent down to a drawer of the desk and drew out a tangle of all manner of pieces of string. Violet now became important in the episode and took charge of the wrapping. Her mien showed a conviction that she could make up a parcel as well as her husband. "'Hospitals are getting in a bad way,' said Dr. Raster. 
and Mr. Earlforward thought to himself that the doctor was one of those distressing persons who, from nervousness, could not endure a silence. Yes? Yes, haven't you read about it in the papers? Well, I may have seen something about it, said Mr. Earlforward, but he had not seen anything about it, nor did he care anything about it. He held the common view that hospitals were maintained by magic, or if not by magic, then by the cheques of millionaires in great houses in the West End, who paid subscriptions, as they paid their rates and taxes. Yes, the London Hospital, our largest hospital, unparalleled work in the East End, you know. The London's thinking of closing a hundred beds. A calamity, but there seems to be no alternative. My wife's interesting herself in Lord Nutsford's special effort to save the beds. She used to be on the staff. I was just wondering whether you'd care to give me something for her list. I thought I might mention it, as I'm not here professionally. Here as a customer, you see. He gave one of his little nervous laughs. Mr. Earlford perceived that the doctor had not been merely breaking a silence. He perceived also that Violet, mysteriously excited by the name of the legendary subscription-collecting peer who directed the London hospital, was willing him to practice charity on this occasion. He keenly regretted, as the doctor developed his subject, that he had left the price of the Shakespeare on the desk. There it lay, waiting to be given, asking to be given. There it lay, and could not be ignored. The doctor was, of course, being impudent again, but there the money lay. Half a crown? Too little. Two half-crowns, those bright and lovely objects? Too little. Or at any rate, too little, so long as the notes lay beside them. A note? Impossible. Fantastic. The situation was desperate, and Mr. Earl forward in agony. He could not in decency refuse, he a Londoner, fond of London and its institutions, he an established tradesman, neither could he part with his money. He was about to martyrise himself. His hand, each finger separately suffering, hovered over one of the notes, when deliverance occurred to him. "'I'll tell you what I'll do,' said he, and picked up a thin, tattered quarto volume that was lying on the desk. "'I'll make you a sporting offer. Here's one of the earliest collected editions of Gray's poems.' "'Gray? Gray?' reflected the doctor, and aloud. "'Elegy in a country churchyard sort of thing. "'Yes, this is the Glasgow edition, "'and I can't remember now whether it or the London edition was the first, "'the first collected edition, I mean. "'They're both dated 1768. "'I'll give you this for your hospital. "'You take it to Sutherland's or Bain and see what it'll fetch.' "'The doctor opened the book. "'Full many a flower is born to blush unseen.' and waste its sweetness on the desert air, he read. Funny way of spelling desert, A-R-T, but this is very interesting. Full many a flower. So that's grey, is it? Very interesting. He was quite uplifted by the sight of familiar words in an old book. 
It's very clean inside. Suppose it's worth a lot of money. I'm sure you're very generous, very generous indeed. Violet paused in making up the second parcel. Well, said Mr. Earl forward, uplifted in his turn by reason of the epithet generous applied to him, I don't know without inquiring just what it is worth. That's the sporting offer. I wouldn't mind giving a couple of pounds for it myself. I should like it, far from the madding crowd. Well, well, and one of the earlier editions, you say? Not earliest of the elegy, earliest of the collected poems. Just so, just so. Two pounds a fair price? I'm afraid it's worth more than that, at the worst, said Mr. Earl Forward, suddenly grieved. He saw to what an extent he was making a fool of himself, losing pounds in order to save a ten-shilling note. Ridiculous, idiotic, mad. True, he had bought the book for ten shillings, and he strove to regard the transaction from the angle of his own disbursement. But he could not deny that he was losing pounds. Yes, pounds and pounds. Still, he could not have let the ten-shilling note go. A ten-shilling note was a treasure, whereas a book was only a book. Illogical, but instinct was more powerful than logic. Ah, said the doctor, if it's worth more than two pounds, I must sell it. You're generous. Mr. Earlforward, you're generous. Thank you. Violet rearranged the second parcel, including the grey in it, while Dr. Raster expanded further in gratitude. That type won't strain anybody's eyes, Mr. Earlford commented on the grey as it disappeared within brown paper. No, I'm thankful to say my eyesight doesn't give me any trouble now. Um, said the doctor, gazing at the bookseller and taking the chance to feel his way towards the matter which had brought him into the shop. I shouldn't say you were looking quite the man you were when I saw you last. No, he is not, Violet put in eagerly. Oh, I'm all right, Mr. Earlforward defending himself against yet another example of the doctor's impudence. All I want is more exercise, and I can't get that because of my knee, you know. Yes, said the doctor. I've always noticed you limp. You ought to go to Barker. I shouldn't be surprised if he could put you right in ten minutes. Not a qualified man, of course, but wonderful cures. You might never limp again. But he charges very heavy, doesn't he? I've heard of fifty pounds. I don't know. Supposing he does. Well worth it, isn't it, to be cured? What's money? Mr. Earlforward made no reply to this silly question. Fifty pounds or anything like it for just pulling your knee about. What was money indeed? He seized the money on the table. The doctor understood himself to have been definitely repulsed. Being a philosopher, he felt resigned. He had done what he could at an expense of twenty-five shillings. He lodged one of the parcels under his left arm and took the other in his left hand and assumed a demeanour, compulsory in a gentleman, to indicate to the world that the parcels were entirely without weight and that he was carrying them out of caprice and not from necessity.
"'Here, Doctor!' Violet most unexpectedly exclaimed. "'As you are here, I think I'll consult you.' "'Not about me, not about me,' Mr. Earl Ford protested plaintively, imploringly, and yet implacably. Violet leaned over him with an endearment. "'No, darling, not about you,' she cooed. "'About myself.' "'I didn't know there was anything particular wrong with you.' "'Didn't you?' said Violet in a strange tone, at once dry and affectionate. "'Elsie did. "'Will you come upstairs, doctor?' She was no longer the packer of books. She had initiative, authority, dominion. Horribly suspecting her duplicity, Henry watched her leave the office in front of the doctor who had set down his parcels. Never, never would he have a doctor. End of chapter 3